everyone, and welcome to the crossroads of talk, news, analysis, and interviews for the greatest sport on the planet, Slam Ball. Slam Ball Nation is not just a podcast, no, no. We're not just a couple of noobs, you know what I'm saying? Sipping on our kombucha, talking about what we see in the sport on TV. No, that time will come soon enough when my co-host and I are horribly fired. But for now, this is an insider podcast hosted by two current Slam Ball coaches. I'm your host and head coach of the world champion mobs. Got a nice ring to it. Brendan Kirsch. Joined by my co-host, the eccentric, the energetic, the exuberant, and the highly entertaining. And those are just the adjectives that begin with E, coach. We did E this week. Hernando Plinels Jr., head coach of the Buzzsaw. Coach H, what's happening? Listen, I'm excited to yet once again grace your presence and grace the presence of Slamball fans all over the galaxy. Because let's not forget, guys, it's a galaxy because in case you didn't know, the Earth is flat. But we're going to go on, and we'll talk about that later on. Um, today we are, as you can tell, uh, proudly not sponsored, but should be by Under Armour, as every single one of our people today are wearing Under Armour. And in honor of protecting this house, this is episode 10 of Slam Ball Nation. And listen, Under Armour, we'd be gladly to protect the house of slam ball if you give us a call there you go taylor teed it all up for you it's nice and nice and teed uh we are definitely all grown up coach we started as noobs having no clue how to record or edit our podcast and look at us now we're less noobish and we just bypassed the editing all together that's right we're one take wonders people but man we did figure out the audio and the wi-fi which is a big part of the challenge so congratulations to you both today um, which reminds me, if you are watching this podcast, why? You guys can just listen to this on audio, whether you're in That's the right. car, at the coffee shop, at the gym. We don't do anything cool, okay? We're not going to jump up and break into a dance-off or anything like that. So if you just want to listen to us on Spotify or YouTube or any of the platforms that we're feel free to do that because you're not missing out on anything by watching the podcast. All right, <laughs> let's get started. Our guest today is a former slam ball legend. He was one of, if not the highest flyer the game has ever seen, and he's also the current head coach of the Ozone, Trevor Anderson, TA. Welcome to the nation, brother. I've been waiting my entire life for the opportunity to have both of you all in one place at one time, even though we're in separate places. We're all on the same platform, and doggone it, let's get to it. Wait, all, all I know is that you're um, – introduced as a former slam ball legend so apparently yeah i used to be a legend until the new guys came and now there's new legends and now i'm just on a podcast so <laughs> i'm the i'm the unofficial third host of the podcast so i mean you know you guys just call on me when you need me kind of like I mean, uh, broadcasting on espn uh for slam ball games we called you guys first and then when they when you guys are tied up winning games they just decided to ask me to commentate them so and I was on it, nonetheless. <laughs> Not true. You were fantastic. And it is awesome. We got three current we got three current head coaches right now. Slam honest, we could right. we can dive into a lot of content on this on this podcast. All the way in, baby. All right, coach. Here's where I want to start. And coach H, you take it wherever you want. Where I want to start is talk about your experience with old slam ball, because we're gonna dive into the rest in a little bit. Well, let me tell you, um, you mentioned it in the introduction. Slam ball is the greatest game on earth. Um, and, and, you know, I have a background of multiple sports. I grew up, my first sport was playing soccer. I played soccer for eight years. My feet got too big. I kept stubbing my toe. I was unable to kick the ball anymore. Uh, so I had to stop playing that game. I went to keep it for a while and it was cool because my arms were long, but you know, I quickly began to realize you only have time for so many things. So I transitioned. I started playing uh, baseball and football at nine years old. Um, I didn't really play basketball because those other three sports took up all the time. Didn't play basketball till 11th grade in high school because I was tall. So they're like, you should play basketball. So I was just an athletic guy who couldn't shoot or any or dribble for that matter, but I could just dunk and run fast. So they found a place for me. Um, but what I started to realize was that I had some good athletic kind of jumping ability and I had some decent ability on the football field, but I never found a sport that really allowed me to leverage all of that. And then it just came to me at one point where a friend called and said, hey, my guy at Slamball says, he wants to look at a guy like you. So next thing you know, uh, I took a day off from teaching my middle school classroom. And I said, all right, let's go to this uh, tryout. And the rest is history. I got a chance to go try out and 
And, you know, some crazy coach took a chance on me when I got to um, L.A. And I guess I did something worthwhile of being drafted in the, in the draft. And some crazy lunatic coach uh, drafted me. And then uh, next thing you know, I was a slam ball player. Okay, so, wait, wait, wait. Stop. wait. So, 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 you, so, you know, Tra- TA, this is why I love you. You you make it sound like you're five foot six, 140 pounds, someone took a chance on me. You know, listen, you're like a walking Adonis, six foot seven, six. You're like the Dick Sporting Good model that actually talks. It's not just a guy standing in Dick Sporting Like, you actually talk. Can, can we get a little more detail? Talk about your specs. Talk about, like, you know, this isn't like, I mean, you're a high flyer. Come on, man. Like, I love it. Okay, I okay. can be. All right. Well, um, a 6'6", 230, ran 4.32 on the grass, you know, 10'9", broad jump, you know, that type of deal. Um, hit my face on the rim a few times, you know, just in general basketball. And when I got to the tryout camp, I dunked it. And I was trying to be gentle. And they were like, no, we want you to snatch it all the way. It was one of those kind that you have in your driveway that, like, kind of will tip over if you hang on too much. I tried to snatch it all the way to the ground, and I kind of almost accomplished it. But I caught it while I was standing on the ground with the rim, and then I just – let it back go. So I, that was sufficient. But um, but look, I'm a competitor. I played professional football, and I finally found a sport that wasn't going to keep pushing me to the side. And the reason mm-hmm. why I say some crazy guy took a chance on me, because I honestly do not remember, um, and we are talking about Kirsch, but I did not remember <laughs> doing anything significant in the training like camp process to the point where I was like, man, I sure hope somebody drafts me. So that's just a testament to a 24-year-old kid's vision. Again, talking about Kirsch, who's younger than me as my head coach. Um, his vision to say, this is the kind of guy that can fit into my system. And now I know I'm talking about the old school, but now if you fast forward 20 years later, you saw the same thing happen this time. A guy that literally is going, who can fit my system? And he found mm-hmm. somebody to fit the system, and he found multiple people to fit the system. And I can't quite see what that thing says in the background of his deal there, but they did decent this year uh, in, in, in Series 6. And I think he once again accomplished the goal of pe- finding people to fill the system. I was just honored to have the opportunity to do that. So Slam Ball is the greatest game in the world. In 2003, it gave me a purpose. It gave me a platform. Even though we weren't making much money, it gave me a platform to reach out to the kids I was working with and to say, hey, you can watch me on TV, help me build my training business it, Slam ball really changed my life. It helped me go around the world. I went to countries I would have never gone to. I went to Italy. I went to China. It really set a platform for me as a young 20-something man, like trying to, you know, pun intended, spread his wings and really try to find his opportunities in this world. And, you know, Slam ball, I have everything to thank for that. And definitely Coach Kirsch to thank for that as well for, uh, for taking me on. Well, you hit on a good point, though, which is that a lot of people don't understand that the training camp process leading up to the draft is very condensed. Like you really don't have enough time to train up the guys and see everything that they can do. So, I mean, Coach H, and you both know this after the draft from from last season, what you end up doing is you have to make some judgment calls at the end. I'm like, I see the trajectory of this player, and I think he can get where we want him to be, right? Yeah. Or I see the character in this player, and hopefully he can get where we want him to be. But if not, we know he's going to be an exceptional team guy. It's those types of things. But um, TA, talk about, like, we drafted you. Obviously, you were part of the mob. Um, you've got a really good story. I know on, on, because you were a little tentative in the tramps. You were one of the guys that like, didn't, if, if, if people had seen you halfway through the season, you would have gone in the first round, maybe if not number one overall. So talk about like the, the process of getting comfortable on the tramps and how that happened. Well, I do want to say I did still go in the first round, uh, but you had the fourth pick. (laughs) So I was fourth overall pick in the first round, but, um, yeah, so I, I think it, slam ball is very counterintuitive in so many ways uh, as it relates to how you become comfortable with the tramps. I was a pretty high jumper. Like, I, I dunk. Like, anybody in Orlando area, they knew me. Like, he's going to dunk on you. Like, he's if he gets anywhere around the paint, he's getting off the ground and, and don't be in the way type deal. Like, I couldn't shoot or anything when I was younger, but I could always jump. So when I got to slam ball, it was counterintuitive because I realized you can't jump off of a tramp. You jump into a tramp. And fortunately, I had three people that all teamed up on my team to really try to make sure I actually understood it. So that was LaMonica Garrett, right, the machine. That was Sean Inches Jackson and Chris Robbins. 
So they all knew my background, Chris being a football player, LaMonica being a football player, Sean being a basketball player, and, and all three have, had been very successful in the game in season one. And they said, listen, you run 4-3, right? I said, yes. They said, okay, we'll, we'll take 4-3 into the Tramps. I go, okay. And then um, LaMonica said, you you played with physicality and force, right? I said, yeah. I said, we'll take force into the Tramps. I go, okay. Sean said, jump from here this time, right? I go, okay. He goes, and Sean, and then Chris is going, take that 4-3. And Sean's going, yeah, but now jump from here. And the first time I did it, and then he kept moving his foot further back. I'm like, I can't jump that far. He had me jumping from midcourt, essentially from midcourt to hit the top tramp. And the first time I hit it, and Brendan was there, I hit it, and I and I went so high and fast and far that I grabbed my, hit my chest, this is a true story, at the top of the backboard, and I threw the ball down because it was like a bug smashing into a windshield. And I went, oh, my God. I said, and then when I, and I grabbed the rim with my right hand and I grabbed the top of the backboard, my left hand I said, oh my God, what, like what just happened? Cause I had never even gotten barely off the tramp before. And then mm -hmm. I looked down at them and they're all like, <laughs> do that again. <laughs> so I did it the yeah. second time and I went like this. So I didn't, I went up about 20 feet in the air and I go, oh my gosh, I'm glad the island is soft. I had that much time to think about that on my way down. And then the third time I figured it out. And all this happened with one week left before our season. And so next thing you know, I go, I have this talent that I didn't know I had. Brendan's going, God dang it, this is what I've been looking for. And I, this is who I knew he was. This is why I drafted him. And all my teammates are going, yes, we got us one. So the cool thing was the system allowed me to not have to do too much, but just fall in line, you know, catch the one tramp lobs, be in the right place at the right time. And good news is uh, it really worked out. So I was very thankful for all of that collective kind of team effort to kind of get to me to where I needed to be because I was nervous. I didn't think I'd get drafted. I didn't. I was like, I'm going to have to go back broke <laughs> to Florida, uh, getting cut. There's 200 guys out there for 64 spots. I'm like, man, there's no way they're going to pick me. And thank God, uh, you know, Brendan took a chance on me. Now, now, one thing about you that I'm, I've always been impressed by your level of curiosity and your – able to be open to accept learning right yes. where a lot of athletes don't if you don't mind talk about a little bit you know it, obviously it comes from family that comes from how you're raised it comes from ups and downs like how important is that curiosity piece as an athlete trying to get into slam ball or any other sport for that matter right and i'm glad you said any other sport because you know something like golf you can say i'm a good athlete how come i can't hit the ball straight like you have to be able to listen to other things that are happening around you because there are people mm -hmm. that have done the game better than you. Like it doesn't, it makes no sense for me to not really tap into the people that have done it best. And you have to have a level of humility, right? And humbleness to say, I'm just not as good as I want to be at this thing. And, you know, fortunately to your point of other sports, I had been cut. I always say when, even when I present now and do keynote speeches and stuff like that, like I've been cut from more teams than I've made. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's that perseverance it's that grit, it's that that stick to that you learn, but you start realizing like, if I could do this all myself, I would have done it by now. And I'd been successful, I'd be some you know, NFL star or NBA star, but that's not the case, right? So who can I lean on? And now the reality of professional sports is that some people aren't willing to give up that information, right? Because they don't yeah. want you to be better than them. It's just a reality, man. We're all, everybody's fighting for the same, you know, chips. So. But once you realize that you're in a family, and at the time when we when I got drafted to the mob, I really felt that family. Nobody on that team had anything but an interest on helping you get better. So it made it very easy for me to ask questions. I asked different questions to Chris Robbins than I would ask to LaMonica, than I would ask to Inches. And I think that, you know, and I, I don't want to jump ahead, but that wasn't just as a player, right? That's as a coach. And, I mean, I've had talks with both of you guys, and both of you guys have seen me mm -hmm. as a grown adult go to both of you all and say, hey, how did you look at this scenario? How did you face this situation? You guys have been coaches. I'm now a coach. I would love to know how you viewed this type of scenario and how you responded to how you reacted. So I really appreciate you all for that. And other coaches have been like that as well. But I think that without the ability to be curious, like you said, and really find the information necessary to get better, you're just going to stay the same. And if you're staying the same, essentially, you're just getting worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think you bring up a point that we've tried to reiterate a number of times, which is that slam ball really is a brotherhood when you look at the players. Like it it always, and we talked about this in camp, and it's easy to get away from it once you get drafted. Yeah, it but is. it's a brotherhood where everybody is trying to make everybody a little bit better yeah. during camp. 
and then you get drafted and then you get in a team camp and then it gets fun. It gets competitive. It gets yep. fun. There's still a brotherhood there. Nobody's trying to hurt each other out right, there. Right, right. Um, it's still a, a brother with mutual respect, but you are just worried a little bit more about your teams. Yeah. And then usually when you get into the off season period, maybe not quite yet. I've noticed because there is like social media, there is all these platforms where right. we can all talk our mind and there right. certainly is right. more than enough talk out there yeah, for right. everybody. But at some point you get back to the point of it being a brotherhood again, right? Yeah, because yeah, sure. the reality is, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, not all these players are going to get reserved on a team. No, Slamball's not. not even going to allow that to happen. Sure. So let's say that a, a player with an a, a team with an identity like the Ozone can only keep three, yeah. or can only keep four, or the Buzzsaw, or the Mob, whoever it is. Well, some of those players are going back, and yeah. some are going to struggle to get redrafted yeah. with how good the next crop of players is coming in. Sure. So I guarantee you, even though we haven't seen it yet, probably sometime as we're getting ready to get back to training camp, you're going to see that brotherhood tighten up again. Where guys are like, man, I got your back. Like, I know you played for the Rumble last year. Or you played for the bus or whatever it is, right. but I got your back. We're going to try right. to get drafted all over again. And you even you know? see it with like, um, like uh, my son Brian would always say, you know, I love my boys in Cascade. Well, Cascade was one of the houses. There was a house off the road called Cascade. And there's seven of these kids. There's six or seven of them. They all get into this house together. Nobody's drafted. Nobody knows if they're going to make it. They're all on separate teams. But even as they all got drafted and everybody went to their team houses, those six or seven guys stayed really tight throughout. Even though they were competing against each other, the guys at Cascade were always going to be my guys. So that's kind of the brotherhood that you're talking about, Brendan. We didn't have that dynamic, you know, when we were younger. I had like one roommate or whatever, and we kind of all were around the same area. But it's even more so now. And I think finding the, the, the ability to separate yourself from that brotherhood to still be able to compete at the highest level is also a challenge, and that's part of being a pro, you know. So it's a, it's cool to see that whole situation unfold with these guys, with these new guys. Now, how was yeah, your um, your transition from player to coach? I mean, I, I mean, you've been working with guys for a long time. It's it's not yeah. as if you have not like it's not like you came from zero coaching experience, right? Because the playing right. experience right. was right. a little bit ago. Talk about like how were the initial feelings? Um, I mean, you're already positive. You're a pumped up guy. Like you breathe energy. Like you're a breathing energy dragon is what you are, PA. That's what you are. So how was that for you? And uh, and and talk about like that mental process for you to get for you to to coach, to teach. I'm going to be honest. It was challenging for me because all I could think about was actually playing the game at first. And you know what? Brendan inspired me. I know I'm not just, you know, Pat him on the back for no reason. He inspired me because no, he, because it gives it gives Coach H fuel. He loves it when somebody says something well, nice about me because then H he can come and just don't worry. I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about how H inspired me. Too. But, <laughs> but the go. way Brendan inspired me um, as a coach was he would get out there with us and he would do Z cuts with us. Mm -hmm. He would have he would have his ankle braces on, his terrible ankles. He would have wrapped up every day, and he would be out there on the slam ball court like he was a player with us and. I always said, if I ever have an opportunity to coach this game, I want to be able to practice with my team, like legit practice mm -hmm. with my team. And so at first it was like, all I could do is like, man, I just want to go dunk again. You know what I mean? They were like, T.A., uh, slam, Rob Wilson's like, slam ball's coming back. I'm like, yes. You know, I start stretching. He's like, no, 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 wait, hey, hold on. No, no, no. We need you to coach, buddy. Okay. We don't need a 40-year-old, you know, 45-year-old, 46-year-old man trying to dunk on somebody. All right. Sit down somewhere and coach somebody. I was like, all right. Okay, Rob, I got you. But um, but there, make no mistake though. I know I can still go play, but that's beside the point. My point is it was hard at first to separate that. Right. So how do I think, and what I learned too, through the years of just, you know, I've been training for, you know, over 28 years now, uh, in, in the performance and fitness world. And what I learned is some of the best players on planet earth, I'm talking about hall of famers that I know and that I've worked with and whatnot of various sports have a tough time teaching you what made them so good. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's some people that were very like, would anybody say Coach K was a phenomenal like basketball player? Nobody thinks about that. Right. But mm -hmm. Coach K was a pretty good ball player, but that's not how they remember him because he used what he maybe wasn't great at or didn't have or whatever to be able to be an, an amazing coach. Right. So the mm -hmm. best coaches aren't always have been the best players necessarily. Right. So being able to separate the two, but at the same time, have one lean on the other. Like I need to lean on my experiences as a player to add value and a frame of reference for these young guys. And as soon as they start realizing, and what was cool is that when we had our Wednesday, you know, boys pizza night that we used to do, we would always go watch film. And most of the time we were watching 
mob film, <laughs> just to be honest, because old mob film, like <laughs> me and Noah and like Sandy and like LaMonica and like, and like, we're watching old stuff. Like, watch this, watch how they run this break. Watch with the positioning of the people watch. And you're trying to tell them and, and half of the time they're like, ah, oh, come on, old school, like old head, man. Wait, this is not old slam ball. This is not. But as soon as they bought in to what made us successful, like the meat and potatoes of slam ball, that's when you start to see that upward tick. So part of it is knowing what to say. Part of it is being able to put it in a easily digestible and relatable fashion so that the young guys can understand it and having that relatability. And the reason now I, I, I practice with my guys for a different reason. Now. I practice now because I do this, buddy. Watch this. Here's how you touch the sky. Here's how you don't. This is all you got to do. Like I can show them. I can only show them maybe once or twice before I get tired. But I show them. Don't just tell them. Don't don't just do as I say. Do as I do. Right. And so yeah. um, I think that was a big turning point for us, especially in our practices. Gennaro and I would get out there and practice with our guys and, and we would score on these guys like religiously easily and we're like we're not at more athletic than you guys right now but what we are is a, is a people that understand the game so that's what we want to make sure that we uh we touch base with and i think that you're starting to see all the coaches have that same type of an impact on their team well i i think i mean i'm not listen i'm not on the tramps like uh bk is or ta well listen but, but now here so so when i played with the guys you know, I just become this facilitator, this passer. I'm doing behind-the-back passes. They're like, whoa. I said, guys, it's because you guys are playing so stiff, right? Sometimes we have to show them because they just don't – like the passes yeah. – people don't understand. When you're watching or you're listening to this, it is so hard to pass the ball to someone cutting, Yes. right? And unless they see it or they – definitely when they see someone older and definitely not as athletic as they are making these passes – it's such it's it's such a big thing, and I know. I mean, every morning, guys, a BK would be at I would say the gym at the slam ball court, like probably at six thirty if he could. Luckily, his <laughs> wife and kids were there, so he couldn't like just barricade himself in a tramp. And but this dude was was jumping up and down. It was it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. No, but coach, you make such a great point because nobody touches on that. I don't think we've ever touched. Is that like we ask so much of these players? And I do want to circle back on this with UTA because you got to experience Lambo at a level that very few people did. But we ask so much of these players. It's physical. Yes. It's mentally draining. Yes. You're playing the game on three different axes. Yep. You're going to get hit. Yep. We need you to lay hits. Yep. You got to be fearless in the air. And oh, by the way, we also need you to be agile and like relax. You know what I mean? <laughs> But that is a big part of the game. Like, that is an important part yeah. of the game. So it just speaks to how hard this sport is to play. And yes. that is what I go back to UTA. Very few people got as high as you did, man. Yeah. Like, very few people ever played the game, if any. Like, what was that experience like knowing that you were probably the highest jumper that Slam Ball ever had? Like, talk about what that experience is like in the air for people who are never going to have that opportunity. I got to tell you, it's like, a, it is like a superpower. And I don't mean it to sound like cliche, but it's like a superpower. It's like, imagine having a superpower you didn't know you had. And then all of a sudden it happens and you go, oh, I can do that. And then it becomes, I made it my anchor. And what really changed it for me was I knew I, I guess I kind of knew I jumped high. But when I, at the beginning, I used to jump. I was still nervous when I got 18, 20 feet in there. So I was jumping like, like this. I was higher than everybody, but I, what is all these? What's going on? Like, I love you know? your special effects. Why am I, and here I told them. I, I told every. <laughs> Yo, what's your? I told everybody on? not to watch, and all of a sudden, Coach Ta has like fireworks going why on behind him, and like man? bubbles. Whatever, bro. Hey, listen, do your thing. I'm pretending like you didn't plan this. Like, come on, man. You're, honestly, ah, honestly, sometimes I walk around ready. and just fireworks just go off. I don't know how it is, but anyway, I go to yeah, you and Katy Perry. That's all we know. You and Katy Perry. <laughs> Cut it out. So, but, but what I'm saying is, and then we went to Italy in, in 2005, right? And I remember, I remember looking around. There's 20 of us. And these were the, all the best slam ball players I had ever seen. I didn't. It's almost like I was mm -hmm. along for the trip. Like, uh -oh. like I was like the uh, uh -oh. bag boy or something. I, not that I was being treated hey. like that. I was, I was being treated no, like that. But, but I felt like I was like wow, like, look at this. Like, look at all these guys. These guys are amazing. And no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. It, like this, I don't know if it sounds like a humble moment, but it's dead serious. And I went to Mason and I, and I asked Mason, I said, why am I here? Like, I'm so appreciative to be here, but 
what makes you want to bring me here? And he looked at me and he said, he said, T.A., he said, you do something that nobody else in this world can do. I said, like, what's that? He goes, you absolutely just touch this guy every time you go. He said, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand that, honor that, know that that's who you are. And I want you to go show the world um, what God's blessed you with. And he said this to me in 2005. And he said, go show the world every single time you touch the ball and touch the tramp. Go show the world what God's blessed you with. And I was like, wow, man, that was so heavy on me. I said, okay. So I made a commitment to every single time I hit this thing, I'm going to punch this thing as hard as absolutely as hard as possible. And then when I started to understand that people started waiting on me, I go, okay, this is not going to always work because I'd hit the tramp. I'd come up, Adam Hooker would wait until it come down and then jump in and just destroy me. And I'm like, okay, now let me watch, uh, you know, uh, uh, some of these guys that do that, like a Chris Young that does that one quick step or Rick Maiden or these guys that, that play for Hernando. And Hernando, I don't know if you taught this to them or what. They all seem to have orange jersey on. But these guys do that one quick step and they go in and go, bum, bum. So I, I, found, I found an opportunity. So going high was really cool and it was amazing. But the ability to have the contrast for the real high one and the real low and fast one, right, between watching those guys and then Brendan, like, kind of honing it in, it's what it, – that contrast is what made it valuable. And so touching the sky became a whole different ball game now, right? Um it's a it's an amazing deal up there, and I, I never verbalized it before. But I heard Pat Pat Graves, you know, start verbalizing it. He said it's just like everything slows down, and it's almost like you're painting the air with whatever your movement is. And if you notice, every single time, people are who they are in the air. They look the same every single time when they're in. There. You see Dak go dunk, or you see Case Slay go dunk. These guys, they look exactly the same all the time. So I realized I had a certain pose too, and it's never changed. But the ability to do that is a complete superpower. And I think that where our game is right now, more people need to really start realizing that talent that they have because these guys are way more athletic and, and you know, jump way higher than potentially than me. And that's what I want to start seeing. Yeah, and I think to piggyback on that, kind of transitioning into new slam ball and your experience as the coach of the Ozone, what, do you, what in your eyes was the biggest evolution in the game or how did the game change from old slam ball to new slam ball? The biggest evolution, positive evolution for me was watching people utilize um, their bounce down, understand how to use it in the slam zone to create opportunities. For instance, in football, you talk about a dual threat quarterback, right? Well, that's a guy that can pass or a guy that can run, right? But the best quarterbacks don't just run. They use their feet to set up the pass, right? They're setting up mm -hmm. other opportunities to continue to pass the ball. And for me, that, that's what I want to see people do. I want to see people utilize the bounce down to create additional opportunities, not just for themselves, but for other people. So as the season went on, it's almost like training camp was three weeks too short because in those first three weeks, people accelerated rapidly. Their skill set just took off. And if we would have had three more weeks of the season, we would have seen some of the most incredible things we've ever seen, but they were just figuring it out. And then next thing you know, the season was over with. But the biggest evolution was that bounce down. Um, and then people, the, the creativity, man, of how they utilize um, the differential of the stopper is, is just incredible. And um, um, I think Stan had a lot to do with that, and he always has. But for the first time, Stan was teaching people the way he saw the game, right? Mm -hmm. um, Shakes is the greatest in my, my mind, opinion, experience. He's the greatest that has ever touched a tramp ever and probably ever will be until I'm proven otherwise. But I saw Stan be able to actually, unlike what I was saying earlier, be able to verbalize what he was looking at. I'll tell you a perfect example, right? I said, Stan, how do you how do you know when to when you bounce down? How do you know when to throw it high to go dunk on the guy, or when to throw it low to bounce low when he goes high? He goes, I don't. I throw it to the same height every time. I said, What? He said, Yeah, I throw it about six feet off the ground, and I know if I'm going high and catch it on the way up, and if I'm going low, I can go right through it and reach up and grab it. And I throw it to the same place. And so like, I never saw the game like that and neither did anybody else. So as soon as I got to training camp, they were starting to see the game a little bit differently. So the evolution of all those things started to increase rapidly. Now, probably a little too much because there are a few guys out there that I could saw being potentially just like me, right? And I saw one or two but I think there could have been like five or 10 guys in the league that could have just gone, you know, 25 feet in the air and just embarrassed people all day long. Mm -hmm. I just don't ever think we got to that uh, in this series six, but 
that's one of the things that makes me so excited about Series 7. Once they understand the value of what going really high unlocks, that's when they're going to be able to balance that out with all the new stuff that they know now. And our game is just going to really explode this season. Hmm. Yeah, for you sure. Know, and go ahead, Coach. No, I was just going to say, I mean, when, when you're just teaching that or, or you're looking at players, talk about how you're getting them, the players, to buy into that, right? Yeah. Because, again, it's not normal yeah. to be that high in the air. And the reality is – you're still one of the few guys in the world who gets as high as you do to dunk the ball. Yeah. You know, so how, how do you, I, I know it's, you know, it's consistency. It's like, hey, they'll just build confidence, but there's still a mindset that I'm up way up in here. It's a mindset. Like mm -hmm. you have guys like you have to be as Lamont to quote, to quote the great philosopher, Lamont Garrett. He said, you got to be a little nuts upstairs, right? <laughs> you got to be a little nuts upstairs. And you do. And there's a fearlessness. I'm sorry I'm talking about my teammates a lot, but Noah Ballou is probably the most fearless human being that I've ever met, not just slam ball player. Like, who spins around two, three times and then lands on their back and comes back up and flips around and does it again at, at the expense of their body the entire time? He's like an X Games, like BMX, like snowboard, like Sean. All those people rolled into one. And that's what Noah is, but with the basketball in his hand. So you have to you have to be a little nuts. But I think one of the things to answer your question, what really helped me relay what was necessary to these guys is I said, you have to have a mindset to just absolutely attack. I always mm -hmm. said, if we can attack, go as high as possible and be as physical as possible, everything else will fall into place. We started to figure it out towards the end of uh, this season. But mm -hmm. here's the deal. If you go maximum height and you tell somebody about it, it's one thing. But if you show them, it's something else. And I was able to, I had video to show them, like, look, watch this. He has my timing. He's coming off the pad. He's hitting. He's doing everything right, but watch this. And I hit, and it goes up, and they come down. You go, I go, you have that ability, too. You have to have the mentality. Yeah. Ability and mentality. Once the mindset matches the skill set, now we really got something going, right? Yeah. But a lot of these guys had this skill set all along, but didn't have the mindset to match, or vice versa. And I think that just comes with experience. You guys only have four weeks to, to play the game, right? So uh, we're talking about skills that I developed over a, a period of time. But um, I think being able to show them, and that's, again, why I keep myself in shape, because I want to be able to show them everything that I'm saying. Show you, not just tell you. And, um, but I think, guys, I, I'm telling you right now, we're going to see this game dramatically change because people are going to start realizing their opportunities up top. And I think that you know, very few people realize their opportunities up top. And I'm excited about this time. What the heck are these bubbles, man? I don't know. Listen, man. And every time you point, you do the thumbs up. Do the thumbs up. See me. Oh, yeah. No, I think you make such a good point, Tian. If you look at it, Rodney Bond being out there teaching the stoppers, man. you know, not even his own stopper. No. Uh, Connor um, Hollenbeck, who was very, very good, but a lot of the stoppers. You got Noah out there teaching them how to quit. You got Stan Fletcher out there teaching them when they tramp transfer to watch the stopper yes. and watch his yes. height so that yes. you know whether to go low and quick or you know whether to go on top and you teaching guys to go yeah. high. I think I think it's such a beautiful um, transition for the sport. I'm so happy that Mason Gordon really put his foot down because they did. The, the, the rumor was, I'll say it was a rumor, it's not a rumor. The rumor was that they wanted to bring in some celebrity coaches just like they tried to do back in the day with John Starks and Xavier yeah. McDaniel and some of these guys and Mason put his foot down and was like, absolutely not. If we want the sport to grow organically, we right. need to bring in the X players right. to coach it and to teach it. And that's what they did. Yeah. So, um, so that's awesome. Now we've got to touch on kind of the ozone, right? With, with ozone specific with sure. new season. So I know it was not the season that you wanted to have. Talk a little bit about your experience with the ozone this season and, and what you felt like coming up short. So I've had a lot of time to think about it. Um, listen, we were, less than desirable as far as our win-loss record, right? And by no means is this an excuse, but it's a reason. We were very successful in the preseason. Nobody was able to do anything with us at all, and all of you guys saw it. So in the preseason, a guy like Keith McGee, who is just a phenom, he's like, he's like Stan. Uh, I don't mean to be stepping outside of myself by saying that, but – He's like a little version of Stanley who just does not understand enough yet about it. Um, but I saw that we could run scheme, scheme, scheme. My mob 
old school mob mentality and be successful. One tramp law, we can do that a few times. But then when it's time to get a bucket, Keith can go down and get a bucket in preseason anytime he wanted to. Yeah. We were playing against uh we were playing against Stan and those guys, they quit the game in the third quarter. <laughs> I'm listen, I'm not I'm not talking, I'm not doing a talk jump. Stan knows, knows I love him. They quit the game because Big Vince like like went upside like Tony's head or something like that. And they're like, he was like, we quit. We were winning by like 15 points, and Keith had about 60. I'm not lying. Keith had about 60 points, and it's the third quarter. And they were like, we're done. We're not mm-hmm. going to get our players hurt. I'm like, okay, cool. I get it. Right? But we used to just be stomping people in, in, in preseason. But how did we get there, though? We got there because Keith would just put it all on his back and go. What are you supposed to say? Stop scoring? Like, what do you do? So, and another big key with that was that, Brian wasn't there because Brian got injured in training camp and was out for about four weeks. And so there was no real chemistry. We brought up Marcus, who was a, a, a taxi squad player. He was phenomenal for us on both sides of the ball, if you will, offensively and defensively. Q came along. He was in that third group. And Q came along, and he gave some good buckets and great minutes all the time and started most of the time. So, But we never had any real chemistry with who I felt were the two uh, best players on the Tramps, which was Brian and Keith. So not until the day before the first game did Brian get cleared. And so you can see when we tried to integrate him, it was a slow process. It ended up being okay, but it was too little too late. And I think that if I can go back and do it again, I would say I don't care if you can score. Like, I appreciate it. Like, whenever you need to do it, and I would say, okay, go score, go do it. But I will do a better job of making sure that we stick to the script early so that we always have an anchor to anchor back to, a foundation to anchor back to. And I think that's what both of you guys uh, did on your team so well, which was you always had your foundation and you were able to anchor to it. Well, it, it is tough because I know uh, when I was coaching the bouncers, we in the preseason, we were always – I mean, I'm basically – I mean, just call me the Miami Dolphins, right? We just start off fast <laughs> all the time, uh, and then we just kind of like just don't finish the thing. But it's <laughs> – but but it is. It's like it yeah. is – I think it's like a building process with everything else, yeah. and we learned so much. Like all those years – where my team was decent, like I learned it from, from for this year and then learned, you know, obviously perhaps with BK and then watching everybody and everything else. And just like coaching, it's it's how do you adjust the – how did you find adjusting in the game, like in-game adjustments, which is hard because they're only five-minute quarters. Yeah. How was that? I know for me it was – like how to get used to that again yeah. was like, oh, yeah. man, how was that for you? I think that's a big part of the game. It was tough. And, and the reason why in-game adjustments were tough for me is because I only have five players for most of the season. Right. Mm-hmm. So like my guys were hurt. And one thing that I thought was interesting about you all is that you all um, were hurt most of the preseason. But as we got back, with the exception of Mike, as you got back to the regular season, you guys had your guys. So I remember Sandy telling me you guys would go, OK, y'all three come out. Y'all three go in. And it was like yeah. we had units like I could not afford to take any three of my guys up to the floor because I didn't have three back there. So I never yeah. had the opportunity to do a clean sweep or give guys a real break. And, and my guys were putting it on the line and they were, you know, that's a, it's an, it's a taxing game. So it took some getting used to for me. The reason why, one of the reasons why we got a little bit better throughout the years, I had a guy like Donovan Bird who'd come in, who was also injured most of the time. And he would come in and give me quality minutes. And you know what? We put a lot of emphasis on scoring, but being able to tramp deny somebody and keep somebody from getting a full run and stuff, those guys like Donovan Bird, they were phenomenal at that and, and redirecting people and stuff. So, those minutes are not just about points. Those minutes are about quality defensive minutes as well. And that's why we had typically some, you know, relatively low scoring games. Like we held people, the best players in the league, we held to minimal points because we knew how to take somebody out of the game. But at the end of the day, you know, you need more, more warm bodies, you know. So um, yeah. the adjustments were challenging. But, again, it's not an excuse because everybody was dealt a hand. I mean, you lost your first round pick or uh, second round pick for this season. You know what I mean? You lost your top scorer, Brendan, uh, for the for the play in the playoffs, right? Hurt his ankle, so everybody had to deal with some adversity. Uh, some dealt with it better than others, and I know that I can do a better job. I think we did a decent job, but I know we can definitely do better. Yeah, and you touched on two points that I think are super important. The first one is you did mention for teams that got hit by the injury bug, the <laughs> pace of play is slower. Yeah, it has to yeah, be has because to be you enough. don't have the bodies. You can't just shuttle guys in and say, "Hey, let's go at breakneck speed," yeah. which is what the teams all want to do, yeah. right? Is you just can't do it because slam ball is such an exhausting game. Right. And the second point that you make is it's tough sometimes. I think as a coach, when you look and you have a superstar, 
like 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 a Stan Fletcher, like yeah. um, who, who coached the steel back in the day? Brian Taylor, yeah, right? Brian like Taylor. Brian Taylor had Stan Fletcher. And it's hard to look at what Stan's doing and be like, all right, but we still need to run our yeah, system run our right? when, yeah. when he's just crushing you, like, like crushing you. That's where I think slam ball, there's some downside to having a superstar that can score at will. Yes. Because if you take that player away, yep. you figure out a way to take that player away yep. or God forbid that player gets injured. <laughs> right. You're yeah. between a rock and a hard place for sure. because you need to have – slam ball, in my personal opinion, is such a team sport. It has to be. Like it's such a team sport no because you need to find different ways to attack a stopper. Right. And if you go back to old school season one, which we shouldn't even count as a season, where it was just like one-on-one with Fernando the stopper has of the most glorious moments in season one. I mean, right. he, he knew how to coach it like in season one, but, but those guys were just killing each other. And you yeah. realized it's like, it's not about the one-on-one no. play. It's about misdirection. Yes. And it's not one type of misdirection. If you came down and you threw the right. same lob right. every single time, right. that's not going to work no. in slam ball teams are going to get, they're going to wise up to that real quick. You have to use multiple uh, layered attacks yes. and yeah. different uh, means of misdirection in order to like score in the stopper. Wait, so say, I just wait, think. Say, say, say that again. Say <laughs> <laughs> that one more time. Right now, Tom? <laughs> I just think it goes back Did to. Did you say layers? Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> it goes back to it's hard to have a superstar in slam ball, man, yeah. because it, 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 it does. It, it makes you question. Do we really need to run a complex mm-hmm. system to get around mm-hmm. the well, stopper? To, and the answer is yes. Yeah, but to that to that point though, Brendan, like I never considered myself a superstar at all. Never that. But yeah. I led a whole series of scoring and got MVP and we won the championship and all that. To the but I still don't even look at myself like when I look who's the superstar, I look at Noah as a superstar. These guys, yeah. every everybody, all I was doing was filling the role that you put me in. I, I was put I played I really only did one thing. Like what <laughs> And they couldn't stop me from doing it. That's all it was, right? But I Yeah, but that's what good systems do. Yeah. Good systems put players in their very best position right. to shine. That's what they do. Is I'm gonna take I would not put I would not put Brandon Simpson as a gunner coming off for multiple lobs, right? Like I need him distributing the ball yeah. and playing defense. And you just He's put a great system. You put good players yeah. in that system and they are set up to succeed. And everybody has a different system. Like I love what coach H, coach H did and coach TA. I saw what you were doing towards the end mm-hmm. of the year is like the offense developed and you got more yeah. players healthy and you were starting to create a multi-layered yeah. attack on yeah. the stopper, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. And that, that kind of leads to my next question is we've got series seven coming back. Yeah. Like what does the, Ozone have to do to compete for a championship in Series Seven. I think we've got to really get. Uh, we were really good at the at the um, fancy stuff, and we weren't good <laughs> enough at the fundamentals. I think it, it just really comes down to that. Can you get ahead of steam, attack, and go real high, dunk on his head whether he's there or not? Okay, mm-hmm. I need. But mentality wise, that's where I need my guys to be. Okay, but then we all know. I, I was watching season two clips the other day, showing Brian right. I said, watch, I said, watch Sean attack. Does it look at any moment like he's going to pass the ball? He said, no. I said, that's why the stopper's all the way on that side of the tramp next to him. And what does he do? He drops it over top. And here I come from the backside to dunk the ball. No, but every single time we attack, you always taught us, it has to look like we are 100% going at the stopper because we got to draw him. Think about it. If you, if you look across all the games this season, how many teams really did that? Like how many, like even you guys, like, like Brendan, as, as successful as you were, you had an absolute fraction of the one tramp lobs that we used to have back in the day, like throwing from one person attacking and then laying it for the other. You had a fraction of those because yeah. the game, they, they, they look at the game differently. But I think the more we can actually get back to that season two, season three mentality and add that to all these amazing things that these young guys are doing, our game is going to really, really take off. You know what I mean? And I think that that's the key for it. Listen, I'm going to have to go ahead and just hang up right now. I'm just freaking <laughs> mom. Can't handle it anymore? I can't handle it. I can't. But seriously, I love you guys. But the real job calls, everybody. So listen, you guys can continue your love fest here. Listen, if you're listening to this podcast, this is the part right now where you either turn it off because now it'll just be mob talk. Not Slam Ball Nation. It'll be Mob Nation in the next 20 minutes or oh, so. Oh, God. Here we go. Erroneous. 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 You could... Draw the line in the sand, fans, and say, you know what? We don't want any more mob. We need to clean the streets. The streets don't need riffraff like the mob out of here. 
if you're with that, then sign off with me right now. All right. So yeah. we, we've we've done our very first edit in the history of Slam Ball Nation where we had to edit because Coach H had to jump off. So I apologize. You know, we're sitting here making all these these empty promises like don't watch us. And then all of a sudden Coach TA has fireworks and bubbles going off in his screen. And then that we're one, we're one take wonders. And then we have to cut because Coach Hernando has to go to a production meeting of some sort. But we're back. Right. We're back. And it's Great. not going to be all mob talk. That was totally no. erroneous on erroneous. Coach H's part. We all know he's super gel, gel bells, that he's, he's, he's not part of the mob family, just peanut butter and jealous. But uh, coach, one of the, one of the things that I did want to touch on with you, that was a big part of your career. People don't understand this. And a lot of the current players are going to get a taste of this as we have coming up right now. Slam ball is in the process of determining how many players each team is going to get to reserve. Right. 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 And it's always been a huge part of slam ball. When we talk about like when you were drafted in the first round, we reserved, I think we were able to reserve four and we did, or maybe it was three. three. It was three. Drafted you. That's right. Yeah. And then after we had you for series two, I I had to keep four. No, it was I three. believe. It was three. It was three, it was three again. Yeah. It was three again. And and we ended up having to make a really tough because we had Sean Jackson, we mm -hmm. had LaMonica Garrett, we had Noah Ballou, we had yeah. you, we still had LaMonica. We ended up having to make some really tough decisions and yeah. you got thrown back into the draft pool. Now, yeah. of course, as a head coach who had <clears throat> Trevor Anderson throwing him back in the draft pool, I look like an idiot. But the hope <laughs> is that somehow you're able to draft that player back, right? Because yeah. it used to be that you still got a first round draft pick. Yeah. You yeah. still got that first round draft pick. Right. And if the player that you let go gets back to you in the first round, you can get them back. Right. It sounds like this time around, letting uh, reserving players is going to count as the first, second, third, fourth round picks. Yeah. So it really does come in a, as a, at a high cost of draft capital. But right. I want you to talk about that experience of like being part of the mob family, getting getting released, not being reserved, and then immediately being scooped up in the in the first round of the draft and not playing for the mob after that. Yeah, so we talked earlier about, you know, having the humility to ask questions, to get better and things like that. I think you also must have the humility to know, like, and you and I had this conversation and I understood. And I said, if I were you and I was trying to decide who I was going to keep on the mob, I would have kept those three guys as well. I would have kept Sean, LaMonica, and, and, uh, and, um, and Noah. Those guys, I mean, they're just they're they're amazing. I mean, they have they have been they they have a track record of success. They are the mob, you know what I mean. So, um, not that I'm not, but you could I think you could do without me. All three of those guys contributed at a high level in a different way. So, I understood that and I accepted the opportunity to be able to potentially go lead my own team, maybe right. So. Um, when I went into the draft at first, I, you know, I think you're lying if you say you didn't feel a certain type of way to you, you know, I did. I felt a certain way, but it wasn't a negative way. It was just a motivating way. And I right. didn't have any animosity towards you, as you know, we talked about it, but I said, okay, well, we have this natural thing in us as competitors that says, well, I'm going to make this guy pay for this. <laughs> right. And this is an inside scoop for you all out there. Every single time I played against the mob. Under my ombre's uniform, I wore mob shorts. I wore my mob red and black shorts under it. And I went to freaking work every single time. I went crazy. And I was like, he's going to know that like, he should have kept me. But that's just something that you do to motivate yourself as an athlete. Um, I think that there are going to be some uh, of our players that are going to get kind of uh, reshuffled back into the deck. And a couple of things going to happen. Number one, they're going to be a really good player that their coach had to make a tough decision and they're going to have to go figure out their own way. And um, they're going to have to realize, are they as good as they thought they were? Did the league view you as good as you viewed yourself, right? You're going to be able to tell because people are going to pick it up. And are you good enough to be, uh, it's a popular talk now, this whole transfer portal and all this stuff and recruiting. Like, are you good enough to to be better than the person that's coming in the, in the, new, in the new crop and are you still draftable enough knowing what you know and doing what you do? And have you set yourself apart well enough to be able to be drafted high onto another team? And do you accept that responsibility as potentially being a leader on that team? And I think that, um, you know, there are going to be some upset people, you know, and there are no teams out there that that has a head coach that's going to have to make that's not going to have to make a tough decision. Right. I'm looking at the mob. 
and I'm going, you just, you went undefeated. Like, who do you cut, right? I'm looking at my team. I'm going, man, I don't know who who I'm, I'm going to get rid of, right? It might be easy to say, well, you guys didn't do as good as you wanted to this year. Get rid of all of them and let's just draft a whole bunch more. But that's not the case, man, because I think some Rob Wilson said something during the draft, and I heard him. Maybe I just heard him because he was sitting next to me. He goes, three words, draft on potential. I don't know if you heard him say that. And I started thinking like, yeah, I need to really think about who do I think can be something that's not that already. And I think with a one year under your belt, I think that um, people are going to really be uh, letting people go as it relates to the potential that they have on their team, not just whether or not somebody was a good player in Series 6. So it's going to be an interesting uh, deal to see how many we keep and uh, and who's going to be kept. It's also going to be interesting to see, like, let's say I can only keep three and I have to get rid of four of my guys. Who's available out there that can really, <laughs> exactly. that I can really get? You know, it's an exciting deal for us as well. So yeah. I think you just got to be a professional about it as a coach and as a player and then uh, let the chips fall where they may. Yep. I, I believe that they're going to allow teams to keep at least four. Yeah. But I, originally coming sense. out of the gates, I heard you could keep all seven. And now I'm hearing a lot more four and a lot less anything else, which is it's going to be an interesting exercise. I mean, you look at the players like that. That's just selfishly. I think about my team and I'm like, man, if I can only keep four, those are really tough decisions. Yes, but at, on the flip side of that, hopefully those guys through 18 games are able to showcase what they can do and yeah. hopefully they get redrafted. If it's not yeah. by the mob, it's somebody else. And that's sure. your hope for your team is yeah, that sure. if you can't keep everybody, it's like, hopefully you, you they were successful enough where yeah. they're going to make an impact on another team. And you know, yeah. better than anybody. See, now we are just talking about the mob because coach H was right, but you know better than anybody. Once yeah, you're part of the mob, that's right. Once you're part of the mob, you Let's are talk. part of the mob family. I mean, yeah. period. That's how it goes. So, I have four um, jerseys, four mob jerseys in my house. Um, it's just, it's a reality, but I don't, I don't, I don't um, look. That's a very positive thing for me. I've been a champion in that jersey. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, I, I use that. Like, what, what aspects of success? Some people played this game since the beginning and never won a championship or, yeah. uh, or never, you know, never done a lot of significant things th that the, the game will remember. Um, but everybody has made an impact on the game, right? It's mm -hmm. like Charles Barkley. Like nobody can argue that he wasn't one of the greatest players of all time, but he never won a championship. So yeah. that's the only thing he thinks about. I think that I have an opportunity to tell, to tell my players and, and kind of convey to them, hey, we're a championship team because of these qualities, right? Mm -hmm. And then be able to share that with them. But I think that what's going to happen now is that you're going to have guys that you're going to get rid of that have a championship mentality, that are going to be able to bring that championship mentality to another team now. So now it's going to really like some of that, like disparity in the league is going to start to level out as well. It's going to be a lot more down the middle of the road. I think it would be hard pressed to think you guys are going undefeated again. I know it's a, uh, oh, it's yeah. a nice thought, but uh, you know, I heard Bryce uh, the other day telling you uh, that <laughs> they were going to go undefeated now in the lobby. Yep. So, uh, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll see how that plays out. But, There's uh, lots of talk because that's all there is to do this time of year. That's all they can do, talk. but you got a, a, a huge bullseye on your back. And, yeah. you know, and that's kind of what gets – that's exciting. You know what I mean? Yeah. To do that. But I think I mean, that, that, that mentality of championship like, is a key. Yeah, and I tell the guys, I'm like, it's it's fine if you have a target on your back because if somebody's going to hunt you down, you just need to be standing right on their front doorstep, right? <laughs> then they don't have to right go there. too far. And you, they right. never see your back at that point. Right. So, um, no, I'm with you. It, it, going undefeated, I think that was, uh, I think everything aligned, right? It was like a first season back. It was a returning coach with a returning system that had been tweaked. Yeah. It was a great draft. It was players yeah. that fit the system. It was like introducing the bounce down rule. It was a whole bunch of stuff happened. Yeah. Uh, but in my personal opinion, I think that playing and you played in semifinals and championships, um, my personal opinion is is that, and I think Mark Barakoff on a on a podcast brought this up, uh, former head coach of the Bandits, mm -hmm. but he talked about how he believed it was harder to win the semifinal game than the championship, and I do believe that. Like yeah. you know, when I think back on some of the semifinal games that we played, whether it was yeah. like having to play the Maulers in China yeah. uh, with yeah, Stan yeah. Fletcher and Sean oh, Jackson, yeah. having to play the Riders, um, yeah. you know, during yeah. during season. Yeah, we lost that game uh, by a couple That's points. Right. Yeah. That's right. And then they went on to win it. They it's um, it. those games, I think, and, and we played the lava this year are a lot more challenging sometimes than the I actual agree. championship game is. So it's interesting um, to dive into that. But talking about the, the current players, like mm -hmm. what, in your opinion, do they need to be doing right now to get ready 
um, for Series 7 because we, we don't have a slam ball court. There are no trampolines around. Right. So what you're, you are an expert in this field. Like, what do you think they should be doing right now to get ready for the season? Well, I mean, um, hopefully you have a trampoline place um, inside your city somewhere. You and I live in Orlando. We know there's a place called the Fire Sky Zone. Um, they have tramps that are less than, shall we say, not in a negative way, but um, they're, they're, they're basically dead compared to the ones we use, but they have a hoop by them, right? And I can understand. You don't want to have the most powerful tramps in the world with baskets around and have it just free for the public. I mean, think about how many safety protocols we had to go through just to be able to get on there and for Stan to even let the kids even yep. jump side to side and tramp the tramp. But um, I think that what those tramps do do is they give you a good playground to start to um, develop some creativity, some body control, some ball awareness, some rim awareness, right? And then you can go over to the big tramp that they have that's designated for just jumping, where it's much more like the tramps that we use. We use the Aussie beds, but they call them Euro beds or whatever, those high performance tramps. I think you need to get used to being as high as you possibly can go, right. learning how to generate force into the tramp, learning how to move low and fast and all the different things. You know, before they had an excuse before they didn't know what to expect but now you know exactly what to expect right i know that there's some people that i've seen and more than just one that i know very well um have been weekly going to these trampoline places <laughs> and developing their skill sets and now you're starting to see a level of creativity now that's starting to develop that is just it's really on a different level right um okay. so when what they need to be doing is forget about the tramps first of all you need to get in shape like you really need to get your body prepared to perform. You need to get your body in tip-top camp shape. You need to be working on strength and power, but you also need to be working on balance, range of motion, and then you have to be working on overall uh, muscle endurance, like power endurance. It's hard to go down. I did Z-cuts one day for like one minute. And I felt like, you know, I was about to pass out. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I used to do this. But that, those, that court will take something out of you. So if you don't have something to offer to the court, not only will you get tired and can't perform, but the risk of injury goes way up. So I think that our players are going to be able to come back and, pre and prepare better in this offseason, knowing what to expect and really have a purposeful vision for what they need to accomplish when they go in on a regular basis. But don't think that you can just go, you know, uh, take batting practice the day before uh, spring training and be good to go. <laughs> you have to have been hitting off the tee and taking live BP for months so that you can go in sharp. So that's the same idea with these tramps. I love it. That is such valuable insight. I hope, I mm. hope any current players that are coming back, that are listening right now, like write mm. all that down because yeah. he, TA just gave you the the blueprint to come mm. back to camp and be, and be ready to go. Cause I'm telling you right now, you guys may think I'm crazy. I'm telling you right now, there are going to be some shocking and I mean, shocking cuts. No doubt about it. And we don't even know about the next pool of players that are coming in. But traditionally speaking, the pool of players that come came in every single season got better and better and better than yeah. the pool of players that we had the prior season. No doubt. So if you're a current player and you're not working right now, <clears throat> I'd, I'd be heading to the gym real soon. Real and there's soon. another thing, and, and current players too, you need to know this, right? I'm a football player. I'm a receiver who continue to get cut. It's hard. You might be like, oh, why are you big and fast? Like, why you get cut? You can't catch? No, I catch everything. Okay, but here's the deal. When you get into a game where the coaches, you know, have relationship, it's all a relationship business, right? And so it doesn't matter I'm killing everybody on the other side of the ball. It matters is, are these receivers their guy or not, right? This receiver's this coach's guy. He's that guy. He's this, They drafted him in the second round. He's a, So now I'm getting cut from these teams. But slam ball for me at the time, 20 years when I first started playing, was an opportunity that I didn't otherwise have to go prove myself from the ground up and it couldn't take anything. It wasn't a good old boy network or any of that type of stuff. It was what it was. Like if you can play, you're going to get on the court. Now here's why I'm saying this. If anybody that knows anything about pro football, when you're not talking about NFL, you had XFL and then you had USFL. They merged to create UFL. So you know what? Half of the teams in each league are gone, right? So now you have twice as many, you have two leagues worth of people trying to fit into one league full of players. And now you're going to have half the players that were playing last year are available right now to sign with somebody else's team. So are they going to choose to go play arena football for two or $300 a week? Or are they going to take a chance of doing a dream come true, jump on trampolines, dunk on people, be a big, powerful, fast athlete that wants to come compete and is hungry for an opportunity. 
Now, you think you got it going on because you made a team last year? Look, that's what they thought when I got out there and there was 200 people trying out for 64 spots. And people thought that just because they were on a team last season, they were going to be on one this season. But a guy like me, a guy like George Bird, a guy like Noah Balut came in and took and took places. We took spots on rosters, right? Make no mistake. They already had enough players. But we took. you have to be good enough to be better than not only the player, but better than the relationship that they've created, better than the impact that they've made. You've got to be better across the board. And if you're not, when you walk into camp, you're going to be in for a rude awakening. And I'm just going to let you guys know you better be working, like Coach BK said. Be working. I love it. Now I have to ask this question because it's been um, it's been debated amongst the coaches. Which of the two of you enjoys showing people their highlights more? Is it you or Noah Baloo? It's definitely Noah because <laughs> Noah is on his own highlights and he's on every single one of my highlights. So, <laughs> so if he if he shows mine, he really is showing his as well. He shows his. Sometimes I'm not in the picture, so just know that he gets he gets a hit from both sides, right? <laughs> uh, it's it, it is hilarious. I will I will tell everybody this story. This is a true story. Ta loves to show you his highlights, and Noah Baloo loves to show his highlights. I had the uh, I had the uh, opportunity to have appetizers, I guess, before a game at Bahama Breeze. Uh, out in Vegas before a game, just have appetizers at the bar. I think TA and Noah had been golfing all day at the point at that point. And I walked in and they both had their phones pulled up and Noah was trying to show me a highlight of his and TA was trying to me show me a highlight of his. Yeah, so. and Noah won. So <laughs> Noah won. That's right. That's right. All right. I want to finish up with this. Tell us like a good memory or a good story, one of your favorite memories of Slam Ball. Um, whether it's it's old slam ball uh, playing with us or the hombres or new slam ball, just give us give us a quick story or, or a memory that meant a lot to you. It would be it would sound obvious to say like winning the championship in in China and and all the amazing things that happened with that, but I'm not going to say that. Um, for me, it was my very first game. Okay, well, our very first game in season two. Um, they say it never rains in Southern California, but that's a lie. It was raining and the and they tried to make the court dry and didn't work. We played like two minutes and people almost lost their lives trying to stay up and sliding all over the floor. So they canceled the game. I think that was against the bouncers. And so they just canceled it. So our first real game was against this steel, Stan Fletcher. And it's the first time he started doing the chaser and all this type of stuff. And I'm like, coach, you never told me what the, what the heck do I do? Like this guy's bouncing all around. I don't even know how to stop it. Like, I don't know what to do. Anyway, that's not my memory. Um, my very first ever game Right. I just learned how to really jump high and dunk from far like a week prior in training camp. I had my first like dunk on somebody. I dunked on a white and I just hit the tramp like all my teammates told me to. And they said, just go high and watch what happens. I did. And everybody was like, oh, my goodness, do that again. And I did it like three or four times in the preseason games. So I was like, well, maybe I can still do that when the season comes if I get a chance. So I got out there and the first time I got the ball, I did a little quick one and I did another little quick one. And then all of a sudden I felt like I can actually play this game. Like, you know, and long story short, short story long, it kind of sounds like now, but uh, um, at the end of the game, I had scored 27 points. My very first slam ball game, I led the game in scoring. I got the MVP of the game and I broke down crying. I remember like my knee was hurting and all this stuff, but none of it mattered. Like that bridge that we had to walk back to like the locker rooms. I walked across the bridge and I was just looking at the sky. I just broke down crying. I was just like, I can't believe like, I scrounged up my $400 to try to get a plane ticket to come out here one way and said, make it or just figure it out, you know, and, and I got food poisoning the second day and, uh, and I was sick and I practiced anyway and I did everything I could. I didn't think I was going to make it and I got drafted and all this happened. I came early staying late. Uh, La Monica broke my nose in practice and like, like all this stuff happened and, and here we are. I'm in my first real game and I scored 27 points and I just broke down crying. I'm like, you know, thank you guys for the opportunity to be able to do this. I'm, I'm just so thankful and grateful that yourself and people around me believe in me enough to say, hey, you can really do this. And all I ever got was encouragement all the while. And it's like people were believing in me more than I believe in myself. I remember what that felt like. And that's the, the type of feeling that I want my players to have. And that I want anybody that I coach is not just in slam ball, but anywhere I want my people to have because everybody deserves to feel like that at least once. And if they haven't, I want to be the one that helps provide the opportunity to do that. So 
one of the main reasons for me wanting to coach is to be able to provide that type of an opportunity. And thankfully I was able to do that. Well, you did a great job this last year, coach. The record is like, like a lot of the teams, the record's not reflective of the yeah. job that you did with those kids. And I know that it was a lot more than just coaching a sport because they truly looked at it as family looked at you as a leader. So, I mean, we're so appreciative to have you in slam ball. So appreciative to have you on the nation slam ball nation. One of the greatest players to ever play. Thank arguably you, the highest flyer to ever play the game yes. mob family through and through, even though he played for the hombres for a season. We'll, we'll that. <laughs> that wasn't my Trevor fault. Trevor Anderson. That wasn't my fault. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. But I Give your family my best brother. Well, I want to, I want to say one more thing. Just um, what you guys are doing is amazing. Uh, bringing light to a sport that we used to be looked at, like we were just a halftime show or we were just a side show, like a, you know, um, not that there's anything wrong with that because we have some of our greatest players in our league now actually do that for halftime shows for teams but it goes to show you that i'm glad they're here because those guys uh uh, uh nate and, and and cam and and um and marcus these guys show yeah i do it at halftime but guess what i can ball too like i can really do yep. this on the slam ball court too so it's really cool to see that and then um and one more thing just um this was also a dream come true for me because i got a chance to, to coach my son one more time i thought i'd never coach him again i got a chance to coach him so i'm just thankful for for Mason and for you guys and uh, and this opportunity uh, to play slam ball. This past year was amazing. Did my color color commentary uh, debut and and I'm head coach of a professional team, which I just never thought that I would do. And there's just so many experiences that that I think are, are just so worthwhile. And um, hopefully we can keep this thing going for a long time because I can't be the only one that feels like this. So thanks so much for having me on. And uh, hey, let's keep getting better every day, baby. Two claps. Oh, no. <laughs> I love it. <laughs>